We have a lot of respect for people who practice different religions, and our purpose with this podcast is to simply identify and deconstruct problematic evangelical ideologies. Oh, hi there. I'm Candice. I was just working on situating my lived experience into a salient critique of ideology. Let's see if this thing works. Whoa, whoa, whoa! It seems like it needs a little more work. But that's the exciting part, because you never know what you'll discover along the way. But don't take my word for it. Why don't you come along for today's adventure in ideology? Hey guys, welcome back to Adventures in Ideology. Today, we probably don't need to say our name. We probably don't need to say that. I I know, but some people do. They have like their intro and then they still say... Yeah, but do we want to be those people? I don't know. I guess <laughs> not. Apparently we do. <laughs> one uh, of us does and one of us doesn't. Fine. And I since always it's all do. about Candace. Well, yeah, it's true. Yeah, She gets her way. Oh. I just get left behind. <laughs> the sun has come and you've been left behind. <laughs> On today's episode, we have our mom back as a special guest. She is going to be answering questions that you guys submitted, and we're really excited to hear what she has to say. Welcome, Mum. Thank you. It's so nice to be back. I think we're just going to jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Some of these questions. It was mentioned in the episode that originally your mom would make comments about how you should just spank your child when she was not listening. When and what initiated the change of heart she sounds to have now? a good question. I think part of what my change was, I was that I do feel I don't have a place to tell you how to raise your children. I don't feel that, but sometimes it comes out anyway, but I feel like I need to stay out of it and whatever you do, however you're doing it, even if it's wrong, you have to do it. But, so that made me bite my tongue mm-hmm. initially, uh, more than more than you're aware of, I'm <laughs> sure. But also, I remember when we were, I was here one time and your oldest was having a, just a difficult time and she wanted to go in the hallway and you wouldn't let her because she needed, there was some issue. I don't remember what the issue was. I just remember, and you were so good with her, and she'd, I want this. And you're like, no, we're going to stay here. No, we're going to stay here. No, we're going to, and you were calm and kind to her. And I remember seeing that and thinking at the time, again, with my whatever, well, she just needs a good licking. Like, come on, you know? And I went home and I was mulling it over and praying about it and thinking about it in my heart. And God, the Lord said to me, because I said, Lord, she really needs to have that boundary. That's like, she needs to know where she can be. She needs to have that strength, that boundary. And the Lord said, but Lynn, she does. That's what Candace was doing. And I realized that you were. It was, it's different than what I'm doing, that one, than what I did, but you were mm-hmm. going for the same result. That really changed my mind. And I mean, of course, because of 
who I am and whatever. There are times when I think, oh, give her a lick and then we'll move on kind of thing. But I don't agree with that thinking anymore, even though it comes to my mind. It's like, oh, yeah, that would be the instant solution, but it's not the long term solution. So does that answer that question? Initiated the change of heart. Yeah. Was you raising your kids? And you listening, really, like paying attention and listening. Mm -hmm. Yes, and seeing that it was working. All right, here's another question. What are significant areas in parenting that you wished you had done differently with the insight you have today? One of the areas that I wish I would have been more equipped to handle is emotions and letting my children have emotions and not just saying, stop crying, stop crying. You don't need to cause a scene. You don't need to do this or that. Like to allow you to feel and process and come to grips with your, your emotions. And I think I did a better job of that with Karis because she was the youngest, but also the most emotional, but I still did a crappy job. Do you think that that was more, more recently with Karis that you realized that emotion thing more rather than when she was a kid? Well, I think (laughs) we're talking about about you like you're not here. (laughs) I, I know I, I didn't do a good job with her when she was young. I know I didn't. But, and I don't like that word. However, I did, I was way more patient with her when she was littler than I was with the rest of you, but I still wasn't patient enough. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Like, Mm -hmm. I realized by then, I realized, okay, there's something going on here. But I really didn't have tools. I didn't know. I wasn't equipped to know how to help you. I let her have more emotions, but... Partly because by the time the fourth one comes along, they pretty much raise themselves. You're so tired and it's like, uh, whatever. <laughs> that's not that's, a good answer, I know. That's um, not always yeah. inaccurate. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. Years Karis. of therapy, Mom. Years of therapy. I know. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, All thanks. the therapists yeah. that are in business because of parents. You don't wish that you would have raised us to be less free-thinking? may i just say that the way my children have turned out being you know free thinking not necessarily fans of church that kind of thing to me validates my parenting that i allowed you to have your free thinking in an environment that 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 was very discouraged allow it so honestly your dad and I see it that differently. He sees it as a failure. I see it as a huge success. No, I'm, I'm glad that you can all um, make your own. Do you want to tell the story about why you decided to? Well, when you guys were little, I don't know. Karis was just little. Like, I can't remember, two, maybe. I saw a movie or something about the Jonestown um suicide 
where all those people drank the the poison Kool Aid that James Jim Jones told them they should drink, and and it like it hit me between the eyes that I was raising you guys to obey, which I I believe obeying is important, but I was reason I was raising you to obey unquestioningly because I'm the authority. You obey the authorities. And I realized what happened there was they obeyed unquestioningly the authority. And it switched something in me where, oh no, you question. You question everything, except not me, don't question me. (laughs) (laughs) But that part didn't work. (laughs) And we've never questioned you since. (laughs) Wish that were true. But to realize that was a big thing for me that you have to question or you're going to die. And that's a very profound realization in the environment that you were in, mm-hmm. which was very the opposite. Yeah, you know? it was. Yep. Yeah. Whatever the leaders say is what you go by. You just obey unquestioningly. So, yeah. I mean, I have a theory that you've always been a little bit of um, a shitster, a rebel, <laughs> a bit of a badass. Well, my dad was always questioning. So, and he was a pastor, and he still questioned all the time. And at times it irritated me beyond words, but now I'm very thankful for that legacy. Um, anytime my friends talk about you, mom, or people that I know talk about you, they always say she's, she's so genuine and not churchy. And I like that because you just say it like it is. (laughs) That's very refreshing as, as a pastor's wife Mm -hmm. that, you know, that you're genuine and real for people. Yeah. You don't say the, just the nicey nicisms. Yeah. The things everyone expects to hear. Just pray about it. (laughs) You tell people to suck it up. Hashtag blessed. Um, No, you like actually offer genuine sympathy (laughs) when bad things happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Although. And you point out bullshit as you see it. She did used to read when we were kids. Agatha Christie novels. <gasps> I and still do if I can. <laughs> the pastor at the time saw them in your he house. Saw them on our kitchen table because we I'd just been to the library and got some. And the next day was Sunday and he preached and something he was talking about what we read and these murder mysteries. Agatha Christie <laughs> murder. And it's like Oh, really? Oh, I wonder who he's talking to. <laughs> Could be anybody, Mom. Could have I been think, anybody. I think you're being and a little bit narcissistic. Just ticked me off. Totally. That would have made me so mad. <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I was like, serious? <laughs> there, there was one time um, John and I popped in to a church service at, at, in Red Deer, and um, there was a guest speaker, I think. Someone that came in a lot. Um, I think <gasps> it was the guy from. I think it was someone from India. Oh, anyway, I do and not it, like he, him. And he, so he would come he in, right? And he he would come in, and he would do all this prophesying and praying over people, and 
I can't even remember why John and I were there. It was an evening service and we'd popped in. I think we were going somewhere or we were checking in with the young adults or something and we were just waiting to pass time. And so we were there, we'd popped into the service and there wasn't very many people there. And I think we were the only two young people there. And at one point in his prophesying praying, he was talking, you know, people that should come to the front, if you're feeling this way, if you're feeling this way, you know, the, that kind of thing. And at one point he basically was like, I feel like there's a young woman here that really feels like she needs to hear from God and blah, 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 blah. And it took me like, and I was listening to this and I was like, oh, okay. And like looking around for like the young woman. <laughs> and then a couple of minutes later, John was like, yeah, we should go. And he like got up and as we're leaving, I like connected the dots and was like, oh, he was, he was praying about me. <laughs> he was like <laughs> prophesying that I should be the one that's going forward. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he did not get that. It was a really funny moment. Cause I think, that's I true. think John picked up on it. <laughs> he he might not remember this, but I think he picked up on it mm -hmm. and realized it and was like, "Okay, let's go." Oh, and I was on. Funny. I was just like, "Oh, I wonder who he's talking about." <laughs> <laughs> That's so, really funny. Yeah, I uh, think have you. Yeah, this is a tangent, but I think a worthwhile one. Have you ever been prophesied over? Several times. And were they very accurate? I feel like they're usually pretty generic. You know, you, God has a good plan for your life. He has big things in store for you. You're special, <laughs> you know, right. but I feel like, I feel like it becomes the same thing for most people. Um, I know. So recently, a few years ago, I worked at a church and I, there was a couple that started coming that very much worked within prophecy and so he would get up during the services and he would speak words over the congregation and the nice thing about the church that I went to is they let people kind of move in the spirit as it were it wasn't it wasn't as monitored as some other churches but um so every week basically every week he was there he had a word and my last week that I was there uh when I quit he spoke something over me during the service and um, usually they record the service, but it wasn't recorded. Like they, something happened in the switching over and that part didn't get recorded. And so because that didn't get recorded and he felt it was really important for me to really hear the words that he had, that God had given him to prophesy over me. Him and his wife came in that week, uh, like on the Tuesday or the Wednesday, and then like prophesied over me again and she recorded it and then like emailed it to me. <laughs> I still have it. I haven't listened oh, to it. You should listen to it. I should. But, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was just interesting that it was like either, either, okay, great, God gave him the same concept or the same words two days later, or he just had a spiel that he kind of just went through, <laughs> you know? <laughs> either like, one is valid. I am optimistic <laughs> that there, you know, that it was... There were, you know, from God, but also it, it also felt kind of like forced Pokey. a little, especially the <laughs> second time. The second time, for sure, it felt like kind of forced, and it was like, oh man, okay, this is weird. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that's the most recent time I've been prophesied over. How about you? I mean, I don't think 
Not really. No. No, I don't think I have. <laughs> Not even like in youth group or anything? I mean, I'm sure probably something right. generic at some point where I was like, oh, okay, thanks. This is like my weekly horoscope. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> don't I trust see... people that wear green. <laughs> or, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. trust trust God with your future. <laughs> you know? Right, like, yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Um, I do remember a time. But I don't know if it's just because I am very, like, yeah, perhaps spiritually camouflaged. <laughs> like, maybe just no one can see anything. Like, I just... What? Explain I'm, what that means. <laughs> God can't see me to prophesy, <laughs> to give someone a prophecy about me. <laughs> but I did... Okay, I was at youth group one time, and there were... um, People were being slain in the spirit. Oh, yeah. And so then I went forward for prayer mm-hmm. and this guy like tried to push me over. Oh yeah. And I was just like, hold on. Heck no. <laughs> Good for yeah. you. So no, I, so I didn't fall over. And then I felt just like very cynical about that whole process. You know, people get into a suggestible state of mind and then, yeah. And then they use that. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, that I didn't like that. Uh, yeah, I always hated that because I always felt like God loved everybody except me. Because I like I'm a very emotional person, and I would never feel anything in those moments, and I just felt mm. broken. Yeah, I and, mean, also, right? I never yeah. could speak in tongues, uh, that which was also the other felt thing. felt like, uh, you know, yeah. like okay, I guess I'm not really connected to God. But again, yeah. that's maybe it's my spiritual camouflage. So. Speaking, hold on, I have two. My sins are so big. <laughs> God Nothing can't see you. except Candace's sins can separate you from the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> that was the original translation. Yeah. I have two. Quick that was a prophecy oh. about me. It was. <laughs> the only one, and they took it out. Because they're like, we don't see Candace. Who's that? <laughs> I have two quick thoughts on that. Is that okay? Yeah. I know this is off topic, but first of all, speaking of speaking in tongues, when there, so there was a youth slash young adults pastor that you and I both don't like who did a who grew up or went to a Pentecostal Bible college. And so was very strong on speaking in tongues. And he did um, a sermon or a series of sermons on speaking in tongues and like baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I remember during one of his things, he was bringing up, he said something about how the only evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. And I brought up, well, what about, because I was in Bible college at the time and had gone through this in my Bible college class. And so I brought up, well, what about this verse? And what about this verse where they experience you know, the Holy Spirit, but they don't speak in tongues. And he basically was like, well, that's a completely different context and moved on. Okay. Yeah. Can I, I just want to add to that about the same Same person. person. Yes. Yeah. So, cause when I was in college, I was going to young adults, me and Steven were going to young adults when we were first dating mm-hmm. and I would raise questions in young adults about some of the teachings and he basically just brushed me off every yeah. time. It was like, yeah. oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And then Stephen would say, ask essentially the same question with different words and would be completely engaged. He tried to mentor him. That's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was really gross. 
And it was one of those times, you know, it was one of those things that just really highlighted to me how not good it is to be a woman in a in a church in, in a christian church. environment yeah. yeah yeah that was a sim- similar experience to me where i brought something up as and then i think a couple of my friends that were there that were guys brought up other things or similar things and he would engage he engaged with them and had conversation mm-hmm. but he with was me so it, dismissive and it sexist was, it was so rude it was so rude well that was a different that's in a different context and he didn't engage he didn't give me the context he just dismissed Mm -hmm. it and moved on basically he was like well we don't believe that at this church moving on you know or like yeah just shut down the conversation shut down the question Mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah it was really gross the second thing i was gonna say ties back to your first question about prophecy um so there was one time where you prayed over me i don't know if you remember this candace but you prayed over me and it felt very prophetic Okay, I, I sometimes wonder if I'm a prophet. I think you are. I because, sometimes wonder if I am too, but... Well, only because I don't think prof... I mean, we're jumping off of... Uh, in, I mean, we're jumping off from this point, but I don't think <laughs> being a prophet necessarily means, like, having prophecies for people. No. No. You know, I feel like it means seeing things clearly. How like, seeing tru- yeah. the truth yeah. in the world around yeah. you. Totally. Well, if you look at the Old Testament prophets, when everyone else was rejoicing and partying and whatever, the prophet was usually seeing what was to come and was miserable because they knew it was coming. And every time everyone was miserable, the prophet was usually rejoicing because he was seeing what was to come. Like, like mm-hmm. th- that's exactly it. Is like they see completely different. Yeah, but they see so much more clearly than people, yeah. than everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't, I mean, of course I think I do because we all do. So I don't know if that, I don't know if I can self-assign myself that title of prophet, but sometimes I wonder just because my perspective, especially growing up was so different to the environment that I was in. Tell me about this, the prophecy I gave you. So it was a girl, it was like a girl's Bible study night or something. Oh, I remember when I used to run that. Was it the one I was running? I don't remember. It was like, it was like the, I think I was in middle school and you were in high school. And I think it was like, they grouped the middle school and high school. And so then the girls went up to like the mezzanine and the boys went to the back room and like, we all did stuff together, I think. Or yeah. Cause I would have been in grade eight if you were in grade 12. So I, we were somewhere in that age group, but I just remember we did like a prayer thing at the end of the night. And I remember you coming over and praying for me and speaking like breaking of generational curses and like speaking of like strong powerful womanhood in and like I finding my identity outside of my family and like speaking against like wow family <laughs> I don't remember this at and, all like, but it sounds really I mean good. I don't I <laughs> I I remember it because it was really shocking for me because you and I didn't really talk right like we didn't really have much of a relationship because you're dealing with your own stuff I'm dealing with my own stuff and it was like the most you'd kind of spoken into my life and it like it shocked me because in some ways it showed me your perspective on things a little bit I think because it was very much outside of my understanding and my perspective you know so I think that's why it stuck with me because it was like a a connection moment even though it made me really uncomfortable at the time (laughs) 
Um, you know, that's my MO. <laughs> making people really uncomfortable. And that's what prophets do. Yeah. But I don't, and I think I also married a prophet, if that's the... Like, we are the, the darkest rain clouds in any group. You guys are the darkest timeline. No, we are the most hopeful timeline. <laughs> people just think it's dark. Yeah, that's Because we see, that, we see the way things could be, you know? You have the next question? I have a question for your mom. How did she feel when she spanked you guys? Joyful. (laughs) I hated spanking. But again, it was the only tool I had. But I also would give you so many chances. If you do that one more time, one more time, (laughs) one more, until I finally had to spank. But I, no, I didn't enjoy it. Except that I felt, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you, that things you changed think, after. You you think you're doing the right thing because yeah, then attitudes changed. Every you know, and life was good again for mm-hmm. a while. But no, I didn't enjoy it. I put it off as long as I possibly could. Did you ever say, "Just wait till your father gets home and make dad do it"? Never. Oh. Actually, I I thought about that. I was always because I tend to be black and white. It's we'll deal with it now and move on. Forget about it. Whereas, so then you guys could look forward to your dad coming home because I had friends who didn't want to do the spanking and they would say, well, when your father gets here. And the kids were terrified of their dad coming home. So I felt like I... I was glad I did it the way I did it simply because that was one less thing that you were terrified of in your life. So Uh, Okay, I have your next question. Why is your son-in-law so handsome? (laughs) From an anonymous... (laughs) Randomly submitted anonymously on Twitter. That's an excellent question, random random submitter. Random. (laughs) Random listener. Yeah, not Steven (laughs) at all. (laughs) Completely different. Well, you know, God made him that way, and really, he's God's gift to us. Next question. Is she still religious? That's an interesting one. Um, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? It is, isn't it? There's one. Oh, uh, let's see. Okay, there's a few actually that are kind of like this. So, oh yeah, can I? So can I ask another one that's kind of like this? So then, from another person, what are her thoughts now on the church and evangelicalism in general? And this person and then, added, "Also, I love you, Lynn." So, just know your love. My dad was a pastor, so I grew up in the church. Went to Bible school, married a pastor, lived my whole life in the church. You, after I you swore you would never marry, marry a, a pastor. pastor. But uh, since about the early years of our marriage, mid-80s, I have been very disillusioned with church. I haven't found that it's met any need for me in my life, except for a social need which the actual church service didn't do anything for me. It was meeting the people, talking to people afterwards or before or during. Yes? We call that fellowship (laughs) in Christianese. I have to use it or I'll lose it. That's right. Yes, fellowship. (laughs) I still believe in God and I love Jesus. Those two things are the same for me. Everything, a lot of other things have changed, but I still believe that God has 
a heart of love and mercy and care toward us, his children. And I believe Jesus is an amazing example for us, that he loves us, and that I get a lot of solace out of my relationship with Jesus. I go to work every day thanking God for his goodness to me. Mm -hmm. um, but I can do that without church. Mm -hmm. I don't need mm -hmm. to go to church for that. So I don't, I hope, is that clear? Does that? What are your thoughts on heaven and hell? Ooh. <laughs> Wait, can I? Oh, yeah. Sorry, before you answer that question, I just, can I add something to your answer? Yeah. Based on your earlier answer to the first question and how you said after uh, watching Candace with her kids and praying about it, you felt God talk to you. Mm -hmm. That's a clear sign that you still feel like you have an intimate relationship with God, right? Whether yeah. or not you go to church. So I thought mm -hmm. that was a really interesting uh, part of your answer earlier. So I just wanted to highlight it. Now Heaven I want to hear hell. the answer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's something I have never really thought that much about. I've, I've just believed we'll go to heaven when we die, but it doesn't, I haven't thought about it that much. And, and if we don't go to heaven and it's just the end. Okay. So be I it. Mean, I, don't I think that's like a very unusual position to have from, <laughs> from yeah. an evangelical. I mean, I don't know if you would classify yourself as evangelical. Well, that's my... Charismatic um, evangelical is can, pretty can much. Can you talk to us a little bit about heaven's gates, hell's flames? <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, was I talking to you about this, Karis? No, I just saw that you commented on the on the post on on the okay. Facebook page. Okay, so because someone uh, there's a Facebook group that I am a part of, and someone posted a thing about like were any of you in the a production of Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. And I was like, why does that sound so familiar? So then I looked it up and I realized, wasn't there, it, it toured through Moose Jaw and it was a yeah, tent. It, it was like a tent revival meeting. I remember when they and did it in a church too, though. Was there, was it, in, okay, I remember John it being, was in it once. Was John in it? I oh, thought so. maybe that's a different one. I wasn't in it. But I remembered it after mm -hmm. I, I looked it up and I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I remember this. And I, it was just a production to scare people into yeah. becoming Christians so that you don't go to hell. Which I think generally is what the concept of hell is used for, to scare people, to, to quote unquote, scare people straight or whatever. <laughs> onto the straight and narrow. Scare people. I mean, also scare people straight. I mean, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I remember Not being at one of those productions. I remember feeling really uncomfortable. I don't know if that was because I, you guys all like left to go talk to people or something, and I was just like sitting there by myself. But I remember at the end of the service, they asked people to come forward for prayer, and I think Dad brought me forward because I used to get these like red sores in my in my like um, elbow in the inside of my elbow in the back of my knees. Oh yeah, when I was little, and so we went. He took me forward to pray over pray for me over them and so I remember a strange person a strange man I think like touched my elbow the inside of my elbow and like prayed over me and like prayed in tongues and all this stuff and I didn't know what to do so I just said oh it feels better or something I just like went with it <laughs> and then felt a little bit guilty about it later and then just kind of forgot about it and moved on 
But you were healed. I, I must have been. You were. I remember that. Do you? I do. Huh. It was in Moose Jaw. Yeah. 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 And we knew the guy that, we, oh, okay. that yeah. dad took you to. Like, yeah. we knew. I just him, remember I, being like, I remember you being healed, not having that again. Yeah. I, I you know, you I remember that quite too. A, quite regularly. I just, like, in the moment, I didn't feel anything, but I, I felt know. like I needed yeah. to say that I did oh. because that was the right thing to do. <laughs> Like, thank, thanks for trying. Well done. Yeah, basically, like, wow, I feel so much better. Because it was really itchy, and it would itch, and then it would be, in, like, hurt, because it would get mm-hmm. really raw. Anyway, so that's my only memory of Heaven's Gate's Hell's Flames. And the only reason I remember that it was in a church is because I remember walking down the aisle of the church. What's one thing you've changed your beliefs about in the last 20 years? That was a good question when I read it. Um... There's actually two major things that I've changed my thinking on. The first one is abortion. I was raised abortion is wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's murder, it's murder, it's murder. But I believe it's a far more nuanced subject than I've been led to believe. It's right or wrong, right or wrong. But there are so many stories, so much heartache, so much involved It when a when someone comes to that decision, it can't be easy. And then to add guilt and all sorts of horrible stuff on top of it for that person, it's just wrong. And how do I say this? I under I totally understand why some people have abortions. I I get it. I also think for some people it's not a big emotional deal. And that's okay too. Yeah. The question is should women have access to a safe abortion? I believe right? they're they gonna should. Be, if they're going to get them. I totally yeah. believe they should. It should be in a safe environment. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I find that... Making it illegal doesn't stop them from Christians happening. Christians yeah. tend to look at things only through their frame of reference. They don't see that there's a whole world out there that you know, doesn't have a loving family, hasn't been raised in a good environment. They've been raped. They've been beaten. They've been all sorts of things mm-hmm. have happened to them. But but Christians tend to, but this is the right way. And they put their mindset on that rather than understanding, okay, there's a ton of different situations out there that don't even see where I'm coming from. And, and- I need to... Understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the whole abortion thing has done a flip. And I totally believe women should have. um, They get to choose. Yeah. They get to be have control over their body. Just going back to Christians making it their issue. What I learned recently is that actually after Roe v. Wade. There were a lot of prominent Christians that mm-hmm. were pro-abortion. Yeah. And it wasn't until like five or ten years later that there was a meeting. Um, it was the moral majority had a meeting. And in response to legislation that was demanding desegregation of Christian schools, and they they thought, okay, I mean, we can't, obviously we're not going to get everyone on board with being against 
desegregation. But I think abortion is an issue we can use to rally people to support. Basically, they use it as a a rallying point to support a bunch of other awful things. It has roots in racism. Mm-hmm. That's basically. what I was going to say, too. Is yeah. That... Yeah, because actually, like, Christians did not have a stance on it. And there were a lot of Christian leaders who were pretty okay with it. It was yeah. a non-issue. It was a non-issue, yeah. So it's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting one politically to see how it has been used to kind of manipulate people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the okay. other, sorry, go nope, ahead. Uh, I was going to say, sorry. the other, go ahead. I did have one more thought on the abortion topic. So I don't know, there's there's this person on Instagram called Quentin Quarantino. And Cute. he posts, <laughs> basically when the quarantine started, when COVID happened, he started an account posting memes about different things and making people happy and um, also adding political content. A little bit, but I don't know if you guys heard, but Rush Lim, Limbo, mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. is dead, Limbo. I guess. Um, and for his death, so Quentin Quarantino has 615,000 followers. Um, this account started like a year ago. And for when he found out that he died, because he's apparently a really horrible person, um, he started a... He donated money to Planned Parenthood in his honor because Rush, I guess he was very <laughs> anti-Planned Parenthood, etc. And he then made it into a fundraiser, hoping he could raise like $12,000. And he's up to $600,000 raised for Planned Parenthood. <laughs> in Rush from Limbaugh's his followers. name. Awesome. In, yeah, in memory of Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> for Planned I love, Parenthood. I love just that so much. Yeah. yeah. That's it's actually subversive. Yeah. Very. Um, yeah, I think it's the greatest. So I've been following that along. So yeah. sorry. And your other, the other belief that the you other have changed. issue that I've gotten, I've thought about differently is homosexuality. Where yeah. um, quite a few years ago, I started to think about it and think, hearing the stories of um, people who have come out, who are who were in the church, who were not in the church, and how so many of them really desire, they really love the Lord. And it really struck me that if this is the most horrible sin in the world, how can they have a heart for God mm-hmm. if they're the worst sinners ever? So I started to think about that, and when, was it the United Church mm-hmm. were, and the Lutheran Church then ordained homosexuals, I thought it was good for them, at, but everyone in my circle thought it was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. And when Canada validated same-sex marriages, I was so proud to be a Canadian. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait go Canada but I couldn't tell anybody because that you couldn't you can't say that publicly and then uh then for a long time I was in the middle where you know I thought okay I can see this I understand there are again so many stories and lives and different things that have happened to people and and everyone is so different part of me thought well it's still a sin though and 
slowly, slowly, I realized I came to believe it's, I don't believe it's a sin. It's, it's who God has made different people. And it's a non-issue again, I believe. Did you? And it's become a huge deal. Were your views on that changed before your son came out to you? Yes, they were actually. Yeah. So I was much more open to hearing about it and not as shocked as his dad was. Yeah. I mean, I was still surprised because, you know, you don't think it's going to, but it wasn't devastating to me or anything. It was okay. You know, he's finding out who he is. It was like when you guys were little, one of my biggest fears was that you would just disappear. Like you'd, someone would abduct you and you'd be gone. And I, that, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for you. So, so then you got old enough so that you wouldn't be abducted anymore. Cause you know, who wants a teenager, right? <laughs> wow. Just kidding. You could have written an episode of Adventures in Odyssey. <laughs> That's some serious shade right there, mom. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. I'm so excited to have teenagers. I'm looking forward <laughs> they to They are. I mean, I like I like where we're at now, but I am looking forward to because my kids are so sassy. They yeah. are. I mean, teenagers were fun, honestly. Yet. And I only I didn't really mean that. I just said it. She's backtracking now. My the thing I was most terrified of was what if one of my kids is gay? Not what if one of your kids gets pregnant? Not at all. Yeah. <laughs> that was always my biggest fear. Not that I was ever having sex, but <laughs> but yeah. Don't get you pregnant. Know, like what if? Yeah. What if I Wanted to. Well, sometimes just shaking hands with someone. <gasps> That's how it starts. Okay, okay. So my friend Linda, who we're going to have on this podcast, hopefully very soon, because she's amazing, yeah. yeah, sent me this TikTok video. And have you seen this one? I mean, there's so many TikTok videos. So um, about, it was something like, like, tell me what is the most crazy thing you've had to explain to someone. You've ever had to explain to someone? So it was this nurse, and she worked at a fertility clinic. And this couple came in because they had been trying to have kids for, like, a year, and they they couldn't have kids. And they found out that he was... (laughs) He was ejaculating into her belly button. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, that's and so, so her and the doctor had to like she said they like had to go away for a minute but then they had to come back and explain to them how sex works and she was like and this is wow. why we need good sex education actually though. yeah wow yeah that's amazing yeah um, anyway i sorry that was a totally off topic anyway actually, can i finish oh, yes. i guess sorry i wanted to share another story oh, about go ahead share sex. another story so so uh my one of my professors at college would spend half of his year in one year when he was there one of his students came up and was complaining to him because his wife was pregnant again and they'd had they'd had like i don't know three or four kids and he and he was like she just she keeps getting pregnant and he was so (laughs) mad at her as if it was something that she was choosing to do and had no understanding so so um this teacher of mine had to explain to him that 
you know that you're the reason that she keeps getting pregnant, right? And he's like, no, she's just choosing to get pregnant. And I'm so mad at her because we can't have any more kids. And like, he had no understanding of wow. this is what makes, this is what makes a woman pregnant. I mean, sex ed he's is important. so mad at her. Yeah. Can I finish? Yes. <laughs> finish. Carry on then. <laughs> So my biggest fear after you guys grew and up anyway. <laughs> Sorry. was that one of my children would be gay. And I remember it was heavy in my heart. And I totally remember one day just we were in Red Deer and I was in the kitchen, spent most of my life. And it's like the Lord said, Solon, what if one of your kids is gay? And was like, what are you going to do? Are you going to disown them? Are you going to, like, what are you going to do? If that, if that, if the worst thing that you can think of happens, what then? And it really shocked me. It was like, oh, well, nothing. Like, <laughs> they would still be my child and it would, you know, and it was like, wouldn't be as bad as I think it would be. Yeah. You know, and it took, it's like it took the sting of it away or something. And because what I calmed down and, and it was like, oh, well. Because I think, I feel like a lot of times that fear is rooted in kind of narcissism, you know, like how will that reflect on me, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know if mm-hmm. that is what it was for you or if you just kind of absorbed that kind of hysteria from the environment yeah, you were in. I think so. You know? Yeah. That's interesting. Because, yeah, like, okay. So, yeah, so and it, it was like I needed to be hit between the eyes. Like, okay, so what if this happens? What's the yeah. worst that could be? Oh, well, really nothing. You know, yeah. I mean, so. Well, it's a good thing she okay. prepared you because that was your it future. It is. Yeah. And I was. I appreciate that you referenced God as a she. I, yeah, I appreciate I try to, that too. Um, yeah. That's my little bit of subver- subversion. <laughs> I like it. There's two, it, from my understanding, there's two questions left sent from the same person or in the same message. Those were two different ones. Okay. Do you want to ask one of them and I'll ask the other one? Yeah. Is there a question about Christianity you have never been able to answer? Uh, probably, but I can't think of anything right now. Why do now. bad things happen to good people? I think I mean, that would the, be the the one. Is heaven for real? <laughs> if you yeah. read the book, heaven is. If you say that you can't think of anything, that oh. makes it seem like you know literally everything. Oh. <laughs> it does. <laughs> <Doesn't yeah. it? laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, I can't think of anything. I just... No, I've, I've found answers I've... for everything. Yeah. And then you sound like someone else we know. So smarmy. <laughs> no, okay. I mean, there are lots of things that I don't understand with regard to Christian teaching. Um, and I think, I think some of that is just the teaching that I've had, not so much my relationship with God. But there's been so much teaching, and then you think, well, yeah, okay, this, well, then what about this? And what about this, and what about this? And, and so a lot of the teaching I've had isn't satisfactory. 
I have, a lot of the teaching that happens in a church is just someone's opinion. I think so. <laughs> Many times. So, anyway, that's... For me, it's a lot more about the teaching than that I've had. There was one question about um, what's your opinion of evangelicalism and yeah. church yeah. or something. Really not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, should I ask the other one? Yeah, and then I have one more after that. Okay. Do you think... This question comes from a single Christian dad. So do you think a single Christian dad is treated differently and expected to act like a typical Christian father? Example, not much hands-on child raising, relying on the wife to raise the kids. Do you think some of the expectations come from the Christian tradition or simply sexism? I, I know this was a question for you, but I'm just going to take, I'm going to give my take on this and then, and then you can give your take. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, and I in terms know. of like gender socialization and, and sexism in the church, Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. Tina Belcher. Uh, um, sorry, I'm just gonna reread this question because I, I had a thought, but it's the yeah, expe- it's Do you question. think the expectations come from the Christian tradition or simply sexism? And I don't think you can disentangle those things. I agree. I think, I think I the Christian well. tradition is sexist. And also pulls from sexism in the culture surrounding. And I feel like, okay, again, this is just my opinion from my observations of, you know, being in the church for 20 years or whatever. Um, Yeah, I know you've been in there for 60, so you can tell me, you can tell me uh, if you think this is accurate or not. But from what I've seen, I feel like the church is often a microcosm of the worst parts of society. It's like they take take all the bad stuff and they just amplify it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the superficiality. They just crank that up to the like mm-hmm. to 110. <laughs> you know, we need to have smoke machines. We need to have lighting we need to have light shows at every church service you know and it's all everything is so superficial and it's like oh we're we're the pastor and his wife we have to look gorgeous and you know it's that and then also there is this horrible sexism in in society and in the church and i think it it also gets amplified in the church although it's there it's it's there outside of it too yeah i was going to say um often it's just the pastor's wife that has to look gorgeous my Especially, hot wife. Yeah, exactly. My hot wife. Unless they're a youth or young adult pastor, in which case then they both need to look gorgeous. But... Or music pastor. Or, oh, good point. Yeah, uh, yeah. Pastor's children or really just anyone that attends the church. Because also if you want to be friends with them, you know, you need to have friends that look good. Yeah. Um, that you cannot tell about your real personal struggles because it will make them uncomfortable. That's true. What are your thoughts, the person who the question was actually aimed at? <laughs> oh, I can't remember the question. Oh, we now. can read it again. Okay, He's, he was asking if single Christian dad is treated differently. The only thing I can think of, and this could be from my age, is I could see a single dad being treated differently than a single mom. Mm-hmm. 
And totally. a single dad being, um, oh, we'll bring you supper and we'll babysit <laughs> your kids and we'll do this. Whereas a single mom is expected to just do it all. Totally. Because that's what mothers do, you know? So I, that's the only thing. Yeah, because people are like, oh, you're, you poor incompetent man, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. And it's that, it's that um, what's the word? Complementarianism, mm-hmm. right? Oh, you couldn't possibly have the ability to do these woman things because you're a man. Mm-hmm. And along with mm-hmm. having a penis comes being completely incompetent mm-hmm. um, at home, but, you know, hearing from God. <laughs> yeah, and doing important things I guess things it's like a satellite dish. Yeah. It's like an antenna. An antenna, yeah. Just connects you. <laughs> Maybe that's why we could never body, speak in though. tongues. Some, some <laughs> people call it an antenna. Other people call it just a penis. <laughs> um, we can take okay. that out. <laughs> Stay in, baby. I don't know if that's answering the question. It sounds like he's I, had... I think there's a lot, some, maybe more going on. Than yeah, we know. that... That's a tough question. It's a big question. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. And uh, it sounds, you know, um, hang this in is there. A- Do a good job with your kids. This one is for all of us. Okay. It's our last question. And actually, it could be its own podcast. Yeah, it could be, yeah. Uh-oh. We should get John on, too. Mm-hmm. If you have extra time on the follow-up podcast, I'd love to hear a bit about the transition you and your siblings had and what your mom's initial thoughts and feelings were, as well as what they are now. So, I think, kind of asking about what was, do you want to go first, Karis? Like, what was your deconstruction process Um, like? So, my deconstruction moment was... Do you have uh, a moment that you can point to? Well, I have, I have um, the kind of the trigger moment that pushed me towards deconstruction yeah. would be um I was dating someone we were technically engaged and had picked out our wedding date etc and he was a bible college student and turned out to be and he he was working his way to becoming a pastor and he turned out to be cheating on me and turned out to be a narcissist and really abusive. And that was really a really big turning point for me because previously I'd been in abusive relationships and unhealthy relationships, but I always thought that I was part partly to blame for them for, you know, not doing things right from my end or whatever. But in this relationship, I had done everything right I, you know, I had, I had towed the Christian line diligently. We had talked about all the things to talk about. We had, we, anyway, I had done everything the way that I understood was the right way to do a relationship within the Christian sphere. And it blew up in my face because the person that I was dating and thought I was going to marry turned out to be nothing at all like who he actually was, who I thought he was, turned out to be nothing at all like who he actually was. Um, And then when I tried to reach out for help within the Christian community, 
to process the situation, even while we were still dating and he had flipped a switch and was just being awful all the time. And I didn't understand why. And uh, I went to people. I reached out to people to help me. And I basically got gaslit and told that I was crazy and misunderstood. And I lost a lot of friends. And (laughs) it was a very traumatic horrible experience for me that's a really quick overview of it it was a really horrible mm-hmm. you few, got the of, oh you're a girl and your opinion doesn't count yeah to it your was, face yeah it was awful you got to experience it very very strongly very strongly and he being you know ready to graduate with his bachelor's degree while he's you know having him Im- what the bible what the bible college would consider immoral relationships they didn't care and that, so, and it was essentially up until then, I had been held very, very highly accountable for any relationship I'd been in, any time I'd spent with anybody, because they're a Bible college and everything is very strict. And this person essentially got away with a lot of stuff that I'm, that if this is the line that they're going to tow, they need to pick. And be consistent. It, it but was very much like, oh, boys will be boys. Totally. Totally. And nothing happened to him. And he basically just lied his way through, told people that we had talked and we'd resolved things. And then people would talk to me and be like, yeah, but you guys resolved it. And I'd be like, he hasn't even acknowledged my existence since we broke up and whatever. So there was a lot of different things of like, him telling people things, a lot of people believing him, me saying that's not right, and then being like, well, you're crazy, and you're obviously just a hurt ex-girlfriend who doesn't have anything better to do with her time. And that was kind of the point where I realized, like, oh, the church isn't, this isn't going to work for me if this is how the church supports abusers. And if Mm -hmm. this is how, if this Mm -hmm. is how Bible colleges support abusers, if this is how People mm-hmm. in leadership support abusers and only hold accountable those that experience abuse. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of my that was kind of my trigger point. And then I think Candace, you and I had a couple really good conversations that helped redirect my <laughs> my focus a bit. And then that was what started it. So that was six I years ago. I think I was at that point I was able to help give you like a framework and for a what was happening. Absolutely. Yeah. So that like so that you knew that you weren't crazy. Absolutely. That you were being gaslit. You yeah. know, that yeah. the system yeah. it props up abusers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, you and you and one other person. One other person also reached out to me and said, I heard what happened with this person. It sounds like abuse. Can we talk about it? And that was out of nowhere. Wow. And that was kind of a cool God moment. Because I had been wanting to reach out to her, but I felt like I had also already talked to a bunch of people about it and was, like, not trying to just go around and, like, control the narrative. It was just looking Like for, he was. Like he was. And, uh... Get out in front of it. He's Gian Gomeshied. Pretty much, yeah. So, mm-hmm. she, anyway. And so then she reached out to me, like, a week after I was thinking about reaching out to her. And then, yeah. So she she brought me under her wing and showed me about taught me a lot of stuff about abuse, brought me in with a group about it. And then, yeah, Candace, you gave me a lot of good framework and understanding because I was so confused at what had happened and how, mm-hmm. how this could have happened. And yeah. 
so yeah, that's that was kind of my turning point. So that was like six years ago. And since then, I've been slowly working my way this direction. Slowly working your way what? This direction. Oh. What is this direction? Are you still a believer? I think I have a similar situation to mom. I said, believer. Oh, yes. No, I didn't. I said, <laughs> I am very strong a believer. Justin is my favorite. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I would say I have a similar, similar belief system to, to mom, where, uh, I feel like I have a relationship with God and Jesus, and I feel like I can have a personal relationship and a personal connection, but I don't go to church. And I don't find much good connection within the church community. So. What about you, Candace? What, what was your moment I don't I mean I don't have a moment like that I think it's been it was a long process you know I feel like I started to deconstruct when I was in high school Mm -hmm. but I didn't really know that's what I was doing you know Mm -hmm. um and but but when we talk about I mean for me the big thing was being treated very differently for being a girl that that was kind of a really ended up being the catalyst for me not being taken seriously as mm-hmm. a human being mm-hmm. you know being mm-hmm. very patronized and belittled mm-hmm. um so yeah i would say it probably started in high school where i was like man this whole thing sucks and you know they're in youth group, the whole like marketing to the popular kids to get the other kids to come to youth group, that yep. whole kind of gross thing and never really fitting in because I was never really popular and just seeing this, how this, again, superficiality kind of in coolness above all else to mm-hmm. suck, suck people in, you know. Um, that always really bothered me, but then I, I moved to England and I went to a church there that was very social justice oriented. And there was a service one time where they were talking about evolution, which was kind of an important issue for me for, I mean, only dumb reasons. Really. It's, it's a non-issue really. Mm -hmm. Um, who knows? Were you there? No. You don't know. So just <laughs> shut up. <laughs> and don't worry about it. Um, and again, now I have a master's of science and, you know, it's a pretty compelling, evolution is a pretty compelling Argument. scientific theory. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, so they did a service one time where they talked about this, like, controversial topic. Um, Mm -hmm. creationism versus evolution and they had four leaders in the church come to the front and they all had completely different opinions about it there was not basically they were like there's no party line here yeah like it it doesn't really matter yeah we all think different things about it and that's fine yeah because does it affect the way that we love people and reach out to our community? No. Yeah. yeah. 
And so why waste our time arguing about these stupid philosophical Yeah, like, and they're like, well, when you find, find what gives you peace. <laughs> yeah, totally. Basically, yeah. like, what do you, what do you need to think about this issue? Because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> kind. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did, they didn't say it doesn't really matter, but you know, like it's it's a, irrelevant to the the broader aspects of being a Christian and bringing good into the world and mm-hmm. helping people. And and they did a lot of like community outreach and all kinds of stuff like that. And I really I got really into it. And when I came back to Red Deer, I tried to get Start. some of that kind of stuff started. Mm-hmm. Um, and was kind of, was blocked and I kind of just gave up on trying to do it through the church. Then I started kind of volunteering at the soup kitchen downtown every week at 5am and just doing stuff that I could do. Yeah. When I, I went to Red Deer College and I got involved with the IBCF group there. Again, it was, there was just so much sexism and it's not blatant. Because they're like, oh, yeah, like, they want you to be involved in stuff. But, for example, I was on the leadership team of the IBCF group. Um, and we basically revitalized that group because it was almost non-existent. And we had a, you ha- we had a teacher, a professor from the staff on our board, because I think you had to have that. Um, and he went to and at the very first meeting, I was like, do we have like a vision statement? You know, because I'd just gone through this whole thing with an organization I worked with in England. Right. Where we had kind of set up our group and we had done this whole thing. And I was like, should we, should we address some of these things? And he was basically like, oh, no, we don't need to do that. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. I guess we don't need to do that. And then later, got a new young adults pastor. And because this guy was a part of our group, he basically brought this young adults pastor to our group. So this young adults pastor had, I think, undue influence in this group. And we just had like an afternoon retreat or whatever. And at that retreat, this young adults pastor was like, I we really need to make a vision statement mm-hmm. and like a mission statement. And everyone was like, yeah. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? That's I said so this aggravating. That's so seven awful. months ago. And you were like, no, we don't need that. And this guy comes in. First of all, we don't know him. He has nothing to do with us, really. Like, mm-hmm. he's not, he's not he's on young the campus. And yeah. Yeah. No, man, I did not like him. Anyway, I did that. That was, you know, kind of just a huge slap in the face. Mm-hmm. And also in Alberta, I mean, everything is so conservative. Like, ugh. When I, the church I went to in England was just much more open to things and to ideas. And I brought some ideas back and I was like, oh, what about this? And what about this? And I just got shut down all over the place, you know? And then I started dating Stephen. And I was getting a lot of pressure from my Christian friends, uh, one in particular who was really into Mark Driscoll, who was like, you know, like men really need to be the head of the relationship and all this yeah. stuff. And, and, kind of pressuring me about that. So then at one point I said to Steven, like, look, I don't really feel like you're being the head of our relationship. And he was like, good, because that's awful. And that was kind of like, 
that was kind of like a slap in the face, like in a good way. It was like someone threw cold water in my face. Yeah. And was like, hey, wake up. And it just, it, that, re- that answer surprised me so much. Yeah. And he, he thought I was going to break up with him because I think I was just quiet. Like, and then I just thought about that for a long time. And I was like, yeah, like I really agreed with it. But it's kind of that same thing you said where like, you change your way of thinking, but then the old patterns of thinking, like, keep totally. popping up. So it mm-hmm. took a long time for that to take, like, deep hold. But I just kept thinking about that. And I was like, yeah, like, that is a terrible. He's like, I don't think I, I don't think I'm a smarter person than you. Mm-hmm. I don't think that I have better ideas than you. If anything, this is a team. This is a team effort. It's mm-hmm. not... A dictatorship, you know, which is kind of how I was raised to think relationships were. Like, that's mm-hmm. the model is, you know, men are the head and women submit and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a big moment for me. And then going to young adults at, with that youth pastor, with that young adults pastor that we were talking about before and just yep. being totally shut down. And then Stephen asking the same questions and being totally engaged and asked yep. out for coffee and yep. just like all that kind of bullshit. And I feel like I tried for years, even when I moved to Lethbridge, I tried to go to a couple churches, but it just, the, the difference was so apparent to me. Like mm-hmm. one time after years, I stopped going to church and then years later, actually when John was living, when we were, I was living with John, Steve and I were married and John was living in the same house with us. And we decided to go to this big church in Lethbridge. And we went, cause there was like an evening service for young people, you know, a trendy young uh, adult, right. young people service. And we had some friends that went to it. So we went and they were announcing their new children's pastor. And so we went in and I was like looking at the, the bulletin board where they have all the people's faces and everything. And it's just like, Oh yeah. The, the only women are administrators. It's all, it's all male pastors and male everything. And then they announced the new children's pastor and they were like, it's so unusual because most churches have a a woman as a children's pastor and we have a man. And they were like, isn't that, we're just groundbreaking. Yeah. Like we're just, breaking what and I was so offended because I was like you took the one position that it's possible for a woman to get in this organization one position one modicum of leadership and you just gave it to a dude yeah it's just all one big (laughs) sausage party and I just I was like I can't even I'm so offended and I didn't even go to that like that was the only time I went to that church (laughs) I was like you can't but I feel like I tried for a long time and I kind of more, I mourned it for a long time when I stopped going. Yeah. But I didn't, but I realized what I mourned, what I was mourning was the idea of having a community, a loving community yep. of people that support each other, Yeah. but not the reality. Like I never yeah. experienced that as the reality. Yeah. And I realized that if I wanted that, that's something that I had to create myself. And so now, I mean, now I feel like I have that. I have an amazing group of friends and many ex-evangelicals that are so wonderful and supportive and 
affirming. Which is really all what everybody is looking for. Like, that's what everybody needs in life is just a group of affirming, supportive, validating. Like, real love. Real love, yeah. Not love, not conditional love. Not I based love you, on so I'm performing a certain way, looking a certain way. Sitting. Yeah. 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 So I don't, I mean, I don't know if that really answers the question, but it's been, it was a long journey. Yeah. And I can't really pinpoint the moment when I was like, okay, I'm fully out now. It's been, it's been for a long time. You know, when, when my oldest was a baby, she was brand new. And, um, dad wanted us to go to that, Mm -hmm. uh, Father's Day Mm -hmm. service. And I had just found out that someone very close to me had been molested by someone I knew growing up. And... I took my daughter into that building and I couldn't stop crying. I was like, this is not a safe environment for my child. And it was just like, even now thinking about it, I'm crying. Because it was so, it was like such a powerful emotion. I was like, I cannot, my, my children cannot be here. Yeah. And I had to leave. I couldn't stay for the service. I had to leave. Well, I went to the nursery and just cried for the whole service. And then I snuck out. And left. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like such That's a visceral awful. reaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. As a mother, I wish I would have given you more ability to just understand that visceral. Mm-hmm. response because when you were little I'm sure there were times like that but it wasn't allowed and I wish I would have made room for that understood it allowed it processed it with you so that it's not so powerful then later on maybe I don't know mm-hmm. just I, mean, I just it, wish I, that's one area that honestly How did you feel watching your kids deconstruct? Um, Well, it's been gradual, really. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet, mostly you've been away. And, uh, fine. That's not the answer we're looking for, Mom. No, I know. Um, <laughs> no, we're looking for the answer that is whatever you actually thought. Um, this isn't church. I think there were times when I was. Oh, no, I this is a podcast. We're trying to get be interest. part of a Christian community, like a church community, just for the, like you said, the the community that can loving and supportive and that. Because I felt that in my growing up years and in even in. Uh, raising you guys and stuff. There was all sorts of young families, and so the moms would get together, and you you'd have friends, and we'd share clothes, and you'd have baby showers, you know. And there was a lot of support for one another, and I just wished that for you, 
but mostly the community part. Mm -hmm. Did you want to say something? I kind of did, but it's, I'm not sure it's super relevant. So, well, And we're already at like yeah, an hour and a half, that. so. Yeah. Um, was, that all, was that all the questions? I think so. Oh, no, wait, there was one more. Would you, would she do the podcast again? Oh, definitely. I, I like doing, I like doing this with you guys. Yeah. It is fun. Yeah. We could make this a regular segment. Tell mm. us about. <laughs> Pick a different thing every time. I mean, we actually, I am interested in topics today. Yeah. Like, yeah, you, you hit on all the topics. Oh, you did. You did. You're um, welcome. I am interested in the kind of how things have changed just in evangelicism over the course of your time in the church. Have they changed? I mean, there's been a lot of superficial changes. I know, were, were things different before the moral majority that you can, like, can you point to? Well, did, you, did that? I think culturally, we're looking at, like, 60s, 70s with the Jesus people and hippies and anti-establishment and you know there was all that going on and then the 80s hit and really everything changed suddenly everyone is dressed up short hair uh focused on appearance a career um and all that and that all gets translated into the church of course so that then out of that we get all the people at the front and how they're looking and how, you know, and all that. Because okay, when I was young, our church had, uh, uh, my dad was the pastor and there was a, an assistant pastor who did a lot of speaking. And he also played guitar and led the worship. So <laughs> it was, um, it was so much more casual because it would be, he would come, bring his guitar, someone would be on the piano, and if you had an instrument, join in kind oh, yeah. of thing. And and it wasn't, you didn't have a practice night, you didn't have whatever, it was just, it was just real casual. But then go to the 80s and it's everything structured and we have to do this and we have to do it this way and we have to do, and we have to practice and we have to this. So, yes. There's been change, but it's also culturally changed. Do you know, like... But isn't... This is my... Isn't the the point of the church to kind of withstand the cultural change? They you know, like, say have the it, core, but they don't. Have the core mm -hmm. love. Yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. be a loving community. But, but they of, don't. No, they... I mean, yeah. Yeah, they I don't. Agree. They don't. It's, it's supposed to be. And I think there are still some churches that are... Some pastors who truly are pastors, not just Christian leaders. So, anyway. That's a whole other... I know, we could have a whole podcast yeah. on. Um, so, anyway... Thanks for having me. This was delightful. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks and for answering like all their plug questions. Podcast you're listening to, your Instagram. I'm, <laughs> I'm listening to um, Adventures in Ideology. <laughs> Great. That's and a good one. <laughs> Androids and Assets. 
Oh, yeah, that's a good one, too. <laughs> um, Mega. Oh, my favorite. That's a really good one, yeah. Um, thanks for having you on. We'll definitely have you back again Thank to you. talk about some things. You know what? The next, the next questions we want you to send our mom are, uh, what are your most outrageous questions about sex? <laughs> yeah, and then I can talk about the time Sexiest that she did a sex, sex class questions. Yeah, <coughs> my for for us at church. You could talk about what? Sorry, what the time that mom talked to our Sunday school class about sex. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, send us your sexiest, <laughs> raunchiest sex questions. <laughs> No, but, you, you know, if there's any questions that we didn't adequately cover or understand tonight, yeah, resend yeah. or reword or whatever. Yeah. And thank if, you to... If you think it would help. And thank you to so, everyone who mm-hmm. submitted questions. They were all really good. We really yeah, appreciate I loved, them. I loved the response we got. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of really good, really thought, well thought out responses or questions so thank you yeah we love our listeners yeah we do we have the the best best. listeners we really do have the best listeners to keep up with us follow us on instagram or twitter at ideology podcast or find us at adventures and ideology.ca